Yo, what up? This is D Knight, and you're listening to the Part of the Interaction Podcast. Or at least that's what I believe the name of this podcast is. Is that what you're listening to? It's, it's hard to even keep up. It's hard to keep track these days, considering the incessant ridiculousness that continues to occur every single day in our uh, the United States political landscape. Totally off the rails every single day. But we'll get to that in just one second. Before we do that, we'll give a shout out to our sponsor, Sheets and Giggles. Of course, you know, this is a Sheets and Giggles podcast. Uh, I don't know what else to tell you other than if you haven't gotten your sheets from Sheets and Giggles, they probably suck. Go ahead and upgrade your sleep lifestyle. I know you're laying there in bed, hide every night, get you some some cool, comfortable, soft, luxurious sheets from SheetsandGiggles.com. So in case you missed it, the Republican-led impeachment of Joe Biden in the House of Representatives is dead. It's DOA. It is canceled. Finito. Buried. Toast. Gone. So the special counsel uh, investigating Hunter Biden, of course, the one who indicted him in California for the rather ridiculously absurd gun charge. And like, I mean, I could kind of understand like the tax situation if not for the fact that he paid back his taxes. Usually, it, once you pay him back after the fact, the indictments for that don't come. Like, again, I don't know if we talked about this before, uh, but one of the arguments Hunter Biden's going to have in that case is selective prosecution because, again, there's there's so few instances of finding prosecutors who indicted someone for not paying their taxes or rather indicted them for tax evasion for taxes that they paid. It's just rare. But beyond that, that special counsel, Robert Weiss, he indicted a former FBI informant at the end of last week for allegedly lying about President Biden and his son Hunter Biden's involvement with the Ukrainian energy firm Burisma. Uh, and this gentleman, uh, Alexander Smirnov, was saying that Hunter Biden was, I guess, supposedly sending kickbacks from the company to his dad to get some kind of, uh, I, I don't know, like the, the conspiracy theory beyond this, uh, surrounding this rather is, is kind of insane. Like it's, it's super convoluted. Like the, the energy company was supposedly seeking some kind of IPO in the United States. Um, but because it was under investigation by this uh, prosecutor in Ukraine, that would be a bit of a hindrance for the company going public. And supposedly Hunter Biden went and asked his dad to make sure this prosecutor in Ukraine got fired by pulling some strings with the Ukrainian government to get him out of the way so the company can make money. And in exchange, uh, you know, they're accusing President Biden of, of getting a kickback. The problem there is Biden wasn't in the White House at the time. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty fucking major hindrance, or at least when it comes to proving this conspiracy theory true, right? So this guy supposedly told prosecutors uh, that executives of Burisma told him in 2015 and 2016 that Hunter Biden brought his dad on board to, quote, uh, protect the company through his dad from all kinds of problems, right? And then they also, uh, according to Smirnoff, told him that they paid $5 million each to Joe and Hunter to take care of all those issues through his dad's office. The problem with that was Smirnoff did not, in fact, talk to these individuals 
these Burisma executives until 2017. And this was after the prosecutor had been fired. And also, the reason he was fired wasn't because of pressure by Joe Biden. It's because a number of United States officials, as well as European officials abroad and foreign diplomats, all pushed for the removal of this guy because he was not engaging in pursuing uh, investigations against other corrupt politicians in Ukraine. So if you spent any time following any of those impeachment hearings where Comer was waving around the the 1023 forms, right? Those uh, FBI forms where you present evidence as some kind of whistleblower. So all of the information provided by this guy in those forms uh, were the basis for this in- impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. Well, this guy just got indicted by the special counsel who was investigating all of this, as well as Hunter Biden, for falsifying all of that information. So the impeachment inquiry is dead. Whatever basis they had to try and suggest that that Biden should be impeached, it's just totally blown out of the water here. Uh, and, And of course, look, this gets a lot more complicated than that for a number of reasons. So on the one hand, it's not as though this guy is one of Biden's handpicked dudes at the Department of Justice. This is one of the handful of Trump holdovers from the previous administration who happen to be hanging around, uh, basically trying to engage in some shenanigans and uh, use the prosecutorial powers of the DOJ to hurt President Biden's election chances. And I think we've all seen that uh, with the indictment of Hunter Biden on these no pun intended trumped up charges <laughs> oh, it's so bad such a just terrible so you could assume from that that this indictment of Smirnov is legit or at least in terms of the evidence that he presented is obviously false otherwise he wouldn't be indicted wouldn't have been indicted by Weiss in the first place um, but on the other hand like Weiss was also involved in like the intake of all this very questionably sourced information about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden at DOJ. He was part of that crew that Bill Barr set up to take in like those allegations from Rudy Giuliani that he got from the Russians, right? So I'm not entirely certain that the motivations of this individual are totally on the up and up because a lot of this information was being requested by Hunter Biden's legal team in like, If that's a real rut roll moment where you're possibly working with people to launder this fake evidence into the Department of Justice. And now you've got like, you know, Hunter Biden's legal counsel looking into this shit with the opportunity to make it public. Like you got to go tie off your loose ends. (laughs) Right. So indicting this dude might be the way that, um, David Weiss is potentially keeping this guy quiet because it could potentially implicate him in a scheme to use the DOJ for a political influence operation. Um, That aside, the only other witnesses for James Comer and the Republican House impeachment inquiry have also either been indicted, have been fired from their jobs from lying 
or they're like foreign agents or some combination. <laughs> Man, it's wild, right? Like the just the developments in all of this continue coming. I don't understand really what the Republicans were thinking. Like Biden won in 2020. You knew in 2024 Trump was going to be back. Like you had to have a plan to run against Joe Biden. You had all this time. You basically had unlimited funds. And like, this is all you could come up with. This is all you had. Like getting some dude to lie on the record to FBI and FBI agents in order to get them to give you the documented claims that you knew to be false so you could try and open up an impeachment of President Biden as if like no one would would find out that the shit was lies. It's it's like they clearly didn't think this through. They got real lazy with the game plan somewhere, somehow. Like instead of spending four years doing a good job, they were just trying to they spent four years trying to find like one weird trick <laughs> to get rid of Joe Biden. And it's, it's totally backfiring, totally backfiring. Uh, just, well, at least we're done with that potential headache. I suppose uh, we're, we're not going to be seeing Biden removed from office or even facing an impeachment unless, you know, somehow <laughs> wait. Well, first of all, it's not as though Republicans in the house even have the vote. Like, it's just a numbers game at this point. Their majority has shrank, uh, especially since Santos' seat has been filled by that special election in New York, which I don't even think we had the opportunity to talk about on this podcast. But uh, that that bodes poorly for Republicans, right? Uh, A seat that a Republican won in 2022 by, you know, what was it, 16 points or something like that. And then the swing is massive the other direction and they lose that seat. You think the media might want to spend a little bit more time talking about how Republicans continue to lose every time there's the opportunity to vote, but nope. Nope. But yeah, again, it's a numbers game. Their majority has shriveled up to the size of Trump's mushroom dick. So I don't think they're going to likely have enough votes to get this off the ground, especially after, uh, you know, the information about their star witness being a convicted felon for lying to the FBI specifically about the allegations that they were relying on. It's just, that's totally over, but you know, it's not over the Rico case in Georgia where Fonnie Willis charged an infinitely high number of Trump's co-conspirators for their attempts, their multifaceted attempt to overturn the 2020 election. So, uh, I'm absolutely sure you're probably aware of this, but late last week, Fonnie Willis took the stand, uh, to testify in a hearing in Fulton County, Georgia, where the defendants in the case, notably one Mike Roman, who was basically in charge of coordinating the fake elector plot, filed a motion to have Fonnie Willis and her office disqualified from the case based on a conflict of interest. And this story has been floating around in, in, in the news for the last few weeks. We haven't really talked about it much, uh, largely because a majority of the time, I didn't even think like it would reach this point. <laughs> like I didn't even think it would, there would be a feasible, a feasible argument to have Fonnie Willis disqualified from the case. And, and not only that, I didn't even think we'd reach the point where we'd have a hearing 
let alone have Willis herself testify. But here we are. Um, so one of the issues that the defendants raised was the idea in, you know, bear with me because it's not as though uh, Roman's legal team, as well as Trump's legal team, have, have clearly articulated this in their legal arguments. But the idea here is that because Fonnie Willis appointed uh, a special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, who's receiving compensation in the form of state funds, because they were also romantically involved during the course of the investigation, that Fonnie Willis made decisions about the case that would impact the case in such a way that created more billable hours for Wade and therefore that money being paid to Wade by the state could was impermissibly spent on Fonnie Willis. In other words, like they're trying to say she made decisions that were biased against the defendants in this case for financial gain. Uh, now part of the reason I didn't even think we'd make it this far is first of all when these issues were raised by Roman's attorneys like they didn't present any evidence <laughs> right they didn't submit like a signed affidavit or anything they're just like hey man you know finally Willis is out here banging one of the special prosecutors uh, and she's she's like because they're romantically involved she's getting these impermissible benefits now I am under the assumption here that they got this information um, from the lawyers in divorce proceedings, right? So they've they've filed for divorce. They're in divorce proceedings. They're working out those arrangements. And I'm assuming that uh, Reed's ex-wife here in vindictive fashion had her attorneys communicate with Mike Roman's attorneys that her ex-husband had in fact been dating Fonnie Willis during some period of time over the course of this investigation. Uh, now, one of my Roman specialties is digging up dirt on people. He's like an oppo research guy. I don't know necessarily how that qualified him to handle the fake elected plot, but it is what it is. So it's entirely possible that Roman, in an attempt to alleviate some of the legal jeopardy he's facing down there in Georgia, put his skills to work in order to try and dig up information to discredit the prosecutor since there is no evidence whatsoever that could possibly get him off the hook in a criminal trial. So maybe between him and his lawyers, they dug this information up on their own or they were the ones to initially make contact with the legal team of Nathan Wade's ex-wife. That aside, Fonnie Willis did eventually informed the public that she was indeed involved in a romantic relationship uh, with her special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, uh, during some period of time of the investigation. So the judge was like, all right, we're going to hold a hearing, sort all of this shit out. Um, And I think one of the noteworthy things to point out is that in this instance, at least in Georgia, it is on the defendants to meet the burden of proof in this regard, in order to have the prosecutor disqualified from office. So before this hearing, I myself was particularly worried that a competent legal team could have performed a very thorough investigation and presented some very damning information in a hearing where the judge is the arbiter of fact 
and all the shenanigans that Trump usually engages in, that type of behavior won't get you far. Instead, what we got here was, I guess as Clarence Thomas would like to say, a high-tech lynching. So the defense lawyers in this particular instance uh, spent absolutely no time asking questions that would be particularly disqualifying about the nature of decisions made uh, over the course of the investigation uh, and what kind of financial compensation that uh, Fonnie Willis was receiving from Wade during the course of their romantic relationship. Uh, It was mostly just asking embarrassing questions or at least questions that might be potentially embarrassing to answer. Uh, That and focusing on like the more salacious details of like their romantic (laughs) endeavors together. Like shit that like, yeah, of course it looks bad in public, but that a judge cares nothing about in regards to what it is the defendants had to prove in order to get Fonnie Willis off the case. Um, I think at this point, the only conclusion the judge can come to is that the defendants didn't meet their burden. So the trial is going forward as scheduled. Uh, The only possible hangup could be that if Fonnie Willis or Nathan Wade over the course of hours of um, testifying in the court proceeding, if they happen to at any point not be truthful, that would probably be the only chance that the defense has of disqualifying Fonnie Willis in her office from the case. And like, I want to be really clear with you guys. It would be extraordinarily detrimental for holding Trump and his co-conspirators uh, responsible for their crimes on January 6th. If somehow Fonnie Willis does manage to get disqualified because it would not only remove her from the case, but it would remove the entire office from the case, which means the amount of time that it would take to have this case placed in another prosecutor's office could take months, if not up to a year or two. Yeah, it's that fucking serious. So one of the things I was hoping that if it was going to come down to this and Willis knew to some degree that she'd likely be disqualified from the case, you know, I'm sure she has enough knowledge of the legal processes down in Georgia of how these things tend to go about as well as her own involvement with Wade. And if those details would likely end with the judge issuing a ruling, disqualifying from the disqualifying her from the case that her and Wade would just resign before the hearing took place. And that would alleviate the conflict and, you know, her deputy could take over and they could appoint a different special prosecutor to aid them in the investigation. Well, after the testimony, I've come to the conclusion, hey, you know, we probably don't have to worry about that. But again, the stakes are fucking high. You know, just in case you were wondering what all of the hubbub is about, this could, should it take a turn for the worse, practically eliminate the possibility of Trump being tried in Georgia. Because not only could this potentially result in an absurdly long delay that would put it well past the election, you know, in case somehow Trump does manage to steal the election away, the case could also end up with a prosecutor who doesn't feel as though the evidence warrants the charges, quote unquote. Or in other words, decides, hey man, this is Trump, we're just gonna let do it off the hook and drop all these charges. 
So yeah, cross your fingers and hope this doesn't all go bad. <laughs> just gotta hope for the best. It's just an unfortunate set of circumstances here. Like, you gotta realize that if you're a prosecutor and you want to hold Trump accountable, Trump is going to take every avenue possible to try and get out of going to trial. He's going to make every attempt possible to delay things indefinitely. He's going to make every attempt possible to discredit the members of the prosecution. He's going to do everything he possibly can to threaten the witnesses, to intimidate the judges, to take advantage of the political system and the political apparatus in whatever way is possible. He's going to do everything he can to skate. And what you can't do, what you can't afford to do, is make a single fucking mistake. And this was a huge mistake. Now, agreed, at this point, it appears to be not disqualifying, but only embarrassing. But even the fucking embarrassment uh, has a drastic impact on, like, the public perception of whether or not all of these criminal prosecutions of Trump are legit. Now, maybe you can say public perception doesn't matter, and to some degree it doesn't, but we need these verdicts to stick. We need appeals to go our way. We need to make sure that there's no possible loophole that this dude can use to escape being held accountable for his criminal activities, or otherwise, he's going to use those loopholes to skate declare he was completely and totally exonerated the media would just run with that fucking narrative and fuel him all the way into the white house in november and then we're all going to be fucking doomed in january when the fucking uh, orange gestapo is wandering across the united states rounding up all of his political enemies and everyone who voted against him and i keep telling you guys i don't want to end up in a fucking internment camp <laughs> So I'm going to need you prosecutors to get it the fuck together. Uh, Jack Smith, I hope you ain't smashing nobody on the team. Like, don't be out here engaging in none of those activities. Like, don't you worry. You put Trump in jail. The girls will be lining up from D.C. to Baltimore to try and make sure your needs are met once this problem is taken care of. And Alvin Bragg, I hope you ain't messing around up there either. Because your trial is set to go next. We're uh, almost a month away. March 25th. Mark your calendars. Jury selection begins for the case that we thought would never see the fucking light of day after the Trump administration buried it. But here we are. Stormy Daniels is back. And if you guys make sure Trump goes to prison, I'm sure you'll have an unlimited number of Stormy Daniels-like options at your disposal. And that concludes this episode of Pardon the Insurrection.